Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Pain in the Pod. I'm Mary Payne Gilbert, and today my guest is Tally Abacasas. She's the host of a great podcast called First Day Back. The podcast has three seasons, and the latest season follows a Baltimore comedian named Jason Weems as he prepares for a stand-up special after very literally dying of an asthma attack after a stand-up show a few months prior. Tally, I'm a big fan of all three seasons of your podcast, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hi, Mary Payne. Hello. Um, first, I want to talk about the premise of your podcast. Now, how did you come up with this idea uh, three seasons back about the you know the first day back from something? Mm-hmm. Well, um, it basically started because I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I had kids. I had babies, and I had a really hard time getting back into the documentary film world um, as a freelancer. You know, you're your gigs are never really assured. And I had taken a couple years off or, well, actually I'd taken six years off um, to raise the kids and be a stay at home mom for a while. And getting back in was just so hard. People had forgotten about me and I felt like I didn't belong in that world anymore. And so I wanted to relaunch my documentary film career. And so I just started this podcast as a sort of way to work through the issues of transitioning back into the workforce and work-life balance and babies and all the stuff that all my mom friends were talking about. And I felt like I'm trying to have my first day back. So the first season, I didn't really have any aspirations. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. I didn't even know if anyone would listen. And so I just documented my story using the skills I have from the filmmaking world. Um, And then it was only after that that I said, well, wait a minute, this could actually apply to other areas of life. Um, You could have a first day back from anything, from an accident, from the military, from, from any big life change. Yeah, your um your story in season one really resonated with me as a mom as well. I, you know, I had a similar thing where I just took a very long break from having a you know quote unquote real job where I was staying home with my kids. And once my youngest one got to be the age where he could do kind of the after preschool thing, he thought, well, I have no excuse. I need to go and do something. And also, it's just kind of good for your brain. But oh yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, it's, uh, I know a lot of people. I, I'm in Canada, and we have a generous maternity leave. But that's not even why I took the time off. I just took the time off because even after the maternity leave, you need to pay for childcare and all those things. The, the math of it doesn't always even work out for you to be able to work and have it make sense financially. And so, I just kind of we just made the decision that instead of putting them in childcare, like I would stay home with them and all all these things. But like you said, the mental stimulation sometimes is the worst part of that. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just need an adult to talk to. Oh my God. Yeah. I, um, I could really hear the anguish in your voice when you talked about dropping your child at daycare and how he was clinging to you like a monkey. And, and I know now it's been a a couple of years ago, but I just loved when you were talking to your kids and you could hear their sweet voices when you were saying like, what do you think I do for my job? And 
I um I think it's great that actually you have that you know forever you know to mm, to, to like listen yeah to listen back to it yeah I was thinking that about and not to jump around too much but um that Jason Weems when we did season three that his kids would be able to listen to his story later on but yeah I mean everything that I do is sort of a time capsule and so I I do th- I am pleased that they'll have this to listen back to about that time. Did uh, the documentary that you were working on during season one, you were working on uh, a documentary. Did that ever get made? No, it didn't get made. And a lot of it was reasons outside of our control. Um, You know, part of it was that we didn't secure the financing that we needed to get it off the ground. But then the organization who was, it was for listeners who haven't heard it, it was about, um, an organization that worked with underprivileged youth to build this massive wood structure that they would, at the end of this summer, light on fire and burn to the ground. And it was based on this idea from Spain. And it was, it's kind of a metaphor for life. And that organization, like they ran out of funding. And so that summer they actually weren't going to do it. Anyway, long story short, a million different reasons why it didn't happen. Yeah. I remember thinking like, oh, it's going to be, that's going to be like a secondary story because I was really loving just I this. <laughs> I was really loving the story of. That's what of, I kind of hoped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so at the end of that first podcast project, when you were really kind of exploring yourself as a first day back, kind of a uh, literal and you know metaphorical mm-hmm. first day back, did you decide you know maybe podcasting is the way to go instead of documentary filmmaking? Or are you still doing both? Well, I am still doing both, but I did not anticipate that I would be doing so much podcasting. And I think that, you know, when it was put out, it was 2015 or 2016, the podcast landscape was very different and there were just fewer places out there. So I was able to get noticed, which I don't know if that would have happened today. Um, And it sort of provided this avenue, this organization's a news group called Scripps. Um, They reached out to me and said, well, like, would you like to work on something together? And that provided an opportunity to keep doing first day back, which, you know, if I, if I didn't have financing, I don't know if I would have been able to continue because it's pretty resource heavy show. Yeah, it definitely is. Now for season two, you uh, talked to a woman named Lucy and mm-hmm. that, and that resonated with me for different reasons. I felt her story was very layered. There was addiction. There was uh, accidental murder. There was forgiveness. There was her paying her penance to society and her relationship with her family and her forgiveness mm-hmm. of herself. It was so, so much to it. And basically the story is about this woman who was blackout drunk and accidentally uh, shot and killed her husband. Mm-hmm. And it was really heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. How did you find out about her story? Um, I just knew that I wanted to do something that was incredibly different from a motherhood story. Um, and I was initially thinking that first day back would just be stories of women, but I think that that just, it became too limiting when we were looking for season three. So, um, I just was looking for the most different possible story from season one. And I thought, okay, well, women coming out of prison, even though I made the joke to a lot of people that stay at home motherhood is like a kind of prison. (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) But anyway, I thought, okay, well, that's a really extreme situation of having to rebuild your life. So what could I find there? And so I reached out to an organization that does work with women coming out of prison. And they, they were very supportive because they felt like this is something that doesn't really get talked about a lot. So they agreed to put me in touch with different women. And actually Lucy was not the first woman who I started working with. 
I initially was working with a different woman who had an even more outrageously tragic story. Um, And what ended up happening was just immediately after I started working with her, she violated her parole and she got sent back to prison. And so I had to stop. And I was, I was really crushed initially because I thought this woman was very fascinating and also had a lot of layers to her story. And I didn't think that I could find anything better. And I mean, stories are not what are in short supply in halfway houses where people are coming out of prison. So then the next woman I met was Lucy. And initially I thought, Oh, this isn't going to work at all. Like she doesn't even remember the, what happened. So how are we going to work with that? But then as I spoke with her, I found she was so open and so um, she just felt so relatable to me. And I enjoyed spending time with her. And I thought like, I'm spending time with this woman who has this, if I want to hang out with her, I felt other people would want to spend time with her. And it felt like it was, there was so much to talk about in the fact that she couldn't remember. And how do you, how do you get back from this terrible thing? If you don't even remember doing it, like how does that work in your logic. So it felt to me once I, once I had made my peace with the first woman who had, um, dropped out, um, I, I felt like, okay, Lucy is the next best thing. Yeah. You know, the not remembering, I have, um, plenty of people in my life close to me that are in recovery for Mm -hmm. alcoholism. And the fact that Lucy was blackout drunk, and, and doesn't remember at all. And then all of the, you know, the forensics of the one bullet versus the, you know, p- mm-hmm. other people thought it was two and all these things. She says she has no memory of it. And to me, that's totally plausible. And you found a lot of people, including her best friends, who still didn't believe her. And yeah, yeah. How, how was that to hear? Well, I think it's logical that you think, Oh, sure. You can be blacked out drunk. But if you did something so terrible, like kill somebody, then you would like something would snap in your brain and you would remember. I think that, you know, you can you can wake up the next morning after drinking and think like, oh, you know, I don't remember talking to that person. But like if it had been something worth remembering, you would have remembered it. I think a lot of people think that way. And so it was really interesting to me to interview the um, brain expert who said like, it's just not recording in your hippocampus or whatever part of your brain. It's it's not there. Like it's not there to retrieve because the memory was not written. And so for me, that kind of put that to rest, but for her former neighbors and best friends, like they just felt like, oh, come on. Like if you did something so bad, you must remember. Like it's, it, it makes us feel like our memory is somewhat in our control Um, And there's also a lot of trauma research about if you experience a severe trauma, like that also affects your memory. So there was a lot at play. And I will say I was very sidelined by the people who didn't believe her because I, I hadn't had any contact with them previous to going to meet them. And I just sort of assumed that they would have a charitable view of what happened. And they really did not. Well, especially because there was newspaper articles and TV and things right after it happened where they said mm-hmm. she was the most loving person and they were this perfect, you know, relationship. So if it did happen this way, of course, it was an accident. And then mm-hmm. here we have a few years later and they're saying, oh, she's a cold-blooded killer, you know? Yeah, I think that um, – I think sort of time and like the family and these friends all got together and over time like just kind of talked to – talk themselves in a circle, I guess. And their frustration at not hearing from her at the, 
at the hearing and not having any contact with her, I think sort of cemented for them some kind of thing in their mind that something is amiss. Um, and I think if they would have spoken to her or reached out to her, I think that might have been mitigated somewhat. Like, because once you speak with her, you kind of realize, but yeah. they hadn't had any contact. And so I think that wasn't helpful to her. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about uh podcast is that because you're listening to it, 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 to me, it's like a book. You're You're getting the whole picture painted in your mind because you're not you know, looking at it on a screen. And so since I don't know what Lucy looks like or the halfway house looks like or anything, you know, I think that you Mm -hmm. just, you did such a great job of really painting a picture of, you know, the, her daughter's, you know, little one bedroom apartment with her, you know, and the grandson. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. I don't know, to me, it was so um, heartbreaking, you know, heartbreaking. So what's Lucy doing now? Lucy is living full time with her, um, daughter and now two grandsons and she babysits a lot and she cleans houses for a living. Um, and so I think her life has completely changed and I think she sort of found some kind of new happiness or purpose in taking care of her grandsons. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me. It's sort of like new, you know, it, the way any grandparent can probably find meaning in spending time with their grandchild for her, it's kind of doubled. And as well, I think in her life with Jerry, she had really fallen out of touch a lot with her daughter just because they lived some distance away from each other. I mean, nothing really happened between them. It was just sort of mostly distance. So, um, yeah, I, I think she's, she's doing okay. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, She stays in touch with me, which is really nice. I love that too. Um, okay. We're going to take a little break. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. Okay. So, Tally, how did you find out? Well, there, I have a lot of questions about Jason Williams' story for season three. Because I remember at the end of your podcast on season one, you say, hey, if you're in the Montreal area or maybe, mm-hmm. yes, you said, I, it has to be close by for me to work yeah. on this story. Now, Jason Weems' story takes place close to me, which is in Baltimore. So how did you find out about his story? Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of season one, I just thought, okay, well, I'll work on this some more and I'll do something in the Montreal area. But then um, when the show got picked up by Scripps and Stitcher, that sort of allowed me there in the D.C. area. Um, and so, and Lucy was still in Canada and was about a one, one and a half to two hour drive away from me. But we decided for season three that we'd like to do an American story. And the idea being that because he was in Baltimore, um, my producer who's, who lives in DC, Mark, he could do some of the reporting as well um, because DC is like an hour or 45 minute drive from Baltimore. So we split up the reporting part of it and I would fly down from Montreal occasionally. And then um, Mark would do some of the reporting on his own. 
Oh, okay. Because I felt like you went to like every stand-up show for months on end. And I was like, well, how Mark, is she doing this? Mark did some of that. That was the thing. Mark did some of that. And we don't always say necessarily that Mark does some of that because it's not useful necessarily to know that. But a couple of times you hear like Mark was at this particular show where Jason had to pull out his inhaler on stage. And so he did an interview with Mark, with um, Jason in the car afterwards. Did you uh, spend a lot of time in Baltimore though? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I, I think I went uh, well, maybe about once a month for a year or maybe once every two months. Uh, for a year, I was going to ask you how long it was exactly that you followed Jason, but how yeah, did, how did, year. how did you find out about his story initially? We have a former producer, Dave Shaw, who didn't work on the show in the end because he changed jobs, but, um, he found out about Jason from a Washington Post reporter who wrote about Jason called L.A. Azadi. And she um, she wrote about Jason's story and told my producer, Dave, I, it's a lot of names here, but point being, we found out about Jason from the Washington Post. Oh, okay. Okay. So you went uh, to his house in Baltimore. What I loved so much about Jason's story was because he was a little... Um, Maybe a little, you know, not raunchy compared to a lot of people, but, you know, curses and stuff on stage. Uh-huh. And then he's also this sweet stay-at-home dad of these three sons. I know. He's, it's, a, it's a big contrast. He's such an invested dad. I mean, he's, he's the stay-at-home dad primarily because he can work at night doing comedy. But, yeah, he's, I mean, somebody told me initially that he was a clean comic and sort of clean comics are billed as people who don't swear on stage. And he was like, I'm not a clean comic. <laughs> no, he's not, but he wasn't like gross to listen to no, either. Yeah. No. He's very funny. Yeah, and I, I love that he yeah. loved his, you know, wife and kids so much and, and, you know, gave them all the credit. And, you know, I was really hoping in the podcast, there was an episode where his son who almost suffered terribly from asthma and Jason was telling the story about growing up, he would always have to sit on the stoop and he couldn't participate because obviously his mom didn't want him to be sick. And he had one son that had asthma as well. But then they went to a doctor that really helped the son. And I was hoping like, oh, this is the turning point where this doctor's going to cure sure. Jason too. I know. And Jason thought, I mean, we all thought that. I thought that. Jason thought that. We all thought that. Um, but and And I would say... I mean, not to put it all on the doctor, but I think the doctor thought that too, because his attitude at the meeting where he gave Jason all these meds was like, oh, we're going to get this under control. No problem. You're going to see. But somehow it's just not under control. Um, I know. I was going to ask you the update. Like, did that doctor in the end cure him or is he still suffering as he was before? No, he's still suffering and he's still having these very severe attacks occasionally. I mean, they're not that often. I think he's had two in the last year. That's not frequent, but it's also not infrequent considering how bad they are. Um, And I think the doctor probably feels like he wanted to get it in better shape than that. And from what I understand, like there can be tweaking of the medication. And so maybe there's still, you know, there's still some tweaking to be done and like a little less of this one, a little more of this one. But I, I will say that the whole thing has been a bit of a disappointment. I mean, I think Jason is happy that his son is the one who's cured, so to speak. Sure. Um, which is a normal parental reaction. But um, it's not it's not cured. Bless him. 
Well, his his story really evolved, um, and it makes sense because it was over a year. And in the end, uh, his goal was to have this show at this big theater in Baltimore and to have a special. And he really he he called it unknown because he wanted it to be his turn from being an unknown comedian mm-hmm. to being known. And of course, Dave Chappelle being his idol, and he got to meet him. And his story was just really evolved. In the end, I felt um, he was triumphant. Did did you feel that he achieved his goal? Yes, that's what I felt. (laughs) I felt after watching that show, I felt, I think I didn't want to use the word magic in the podcast because it felt a bit, I don't know, it just didn't feel very journalistic, but it felt magical. Like his show was such a success. It was such a love-in. It was hilarious. It was great. And I mean, the only dark part of the cloud is that he just still has asthma. But I really wondered if he could pull it off. I really wasn't sure that it was going to go well. It did not feel at all like a slam dunk. But in the end, it it was great. Did he get a special? Do we know? Uh, I don't know yet, actually. I think he's still negotiating. Oh, my gosh. Well, I was was hoping. I was like, oh, surely they're going to listen to the podcast, and then he'll definitely get a special. I know. Who knows? You did such a great job of that buildup at the end of the one episode going into the next, towards the end there, when it was that, you know, the the final show, and Mm -hmm. it was the backstage in the dressing room, and I was like... I'm sweating. I'm so nervous. Like oh, he's good. gonna I was like he's gonna have an asthma attack and fall off the stage. Like I was I, so nervous. I was worried about it. I just felt like the stress was too high and it was stressing me out, but um it was okay. Um and what's going on with him now? Is he he's still doing his same yeah, gigs? Yeah. He's back at it. He's uh back on the road. He just did a show on Vice TV. He's he's just hustling and trying out new material. He's not doing the death stuff anymore. Um, I think he's happy to move on a bit from that. I feel like, I think he felt like he was getting a bit dark to sort of linger in the death material. Um, but he's, he's, he's doing well. Yeah. It was interesting about, uh, as you were watching all his comedy shows from when he died to when he came back and how he had so much material regarding the death. And then towards the end, he hardly had any. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's inter- so interesting to me it how really yeah how comedians work through their sets you know yeah and some of those jokes I felt like could have stayed but they just weren't working and and we struggled with like do we play the material initially and then you hear how it evolves but then when we did that we would test it on people and they felt like oh once I heard it I didn't want to hear it again and so I feel like it was a bit maybe um. Like you didn't hear enough of his material maybe throughout until six, but it made it more exciting when you heard the material in six. Yeah. I mean, I could have listened to, you know, the whole set from beginning to end. It was very, it was very funny. Um, But of course, then if you did that, then who would want to buy a special? Because we've already, (laughs) because we already heard the whole thing. Well, it also just felt long. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, that was something we, we played with a lot. Well, I loved that you were there and got to be backstage and really yeah. and really document it. Now, you know, it made me very interested in his comedy. And, you know, I'm in the D.C. area, so if he comes around, you know, I'll go. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, I know he's around all the time. So tell me about season four of First Day Back. Well, uh, I don't know if there's going to be a season four. I'm waiting to hear. Um, I think they're going to do some kind of evaluation at the end of it. Um, but we're not there yet. 
Well, if there was one, <laughs> allegedly, what would it be? <laughs> I mean, one thing that we tried to find for season three and that I would love for season four would be um, a military story. I, I I think we've heard a lot of stuff about people coming back from war zones, maybe. But the thing the thing that interests me is now we've got women in combat. And I would love to hear how that is some kind of first day backstory of the women who are in the Marines now, these sort of elite combat units. Like, I don't know exactly where they're going. I don't know where they're coming back from because I think it would, there would be also the larger story of women in the military and how they're dealing with that. Like there would be many angles to it. So that would excite me. I I would like to do something about that. We had a very hard time because we tried for season three. That was our first story that we were looking for. And it was just very hard to get military people to trust somebody in the media. Um, There was a lot of kind of, oh, we know what story you're going to tell. Like, if I could sort of generalize, um, I think that the feeling was we know that we know that people come back um, with a lot of difficulty from their deployments, but we want to talk about that amongst ourselves, who we trust. And we don't necessarily want to talk about it with outsiders because they're very tired of the broken soldier narrative that's in the media. Even though the part of it that I found hard to wrap my head around is when I went to a bunch of military conferences and that's all that's being talked about is like PTSD and emotional support and how are we supporting our veterans who are coming home and who are having all these mental problems and et cetera, et cetera. And, but they don't, they kind of don't want that to be the outward facing story. Um, so that was it, like, we kind of didn't really get anywhere with it where we had people who are really willing to talk openly with us. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that would be a really great story to tell. And I think that it could also come from 12 different angles. It could be mm-hmm. a, a woman that, you know, goes away for a year and comes back and the husband's at home raising the children or vice versa. And you can imagine that's extremely hard to get back into your family life when you've been you know, living in such a different environment for so long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. I, I think that would be, I think that would be a great story to hear. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I mean, well, I'm saying thank you. It's not my story, but <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's something that I could uh, get really excited about. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, I'll look for it and I'll, I'll, you know, it's, it's always on my podcast app. So if anything new ever comes up, it'll okay, pop yeah, it'll yeah. pop up and give me a little alert, which makes me always is like a thrill of my day. <laughs> yeah. It's like a thrill of my day when something pops up like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might do an update on Jason if there's something worth t- telling. Oh, I would, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always ask my guest, and sometimes it's a loaded question if if you listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> so do you get a chance to listen to a lot of podcasts? And if so, can you give us some recommendations? Yeah, um, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I feel like a lot of what I listen to is probably what a lot of your other guests have listened to. Um, I pretty religiously, any episode of Reply All that comes out, I will listen to first. Um, Reply All is... For those who don't know, it's supposed to be a show about the internet, but it's basically a show about human nature because human nature is all over the internet now. And I just, I love the relationship between the hosts. I love the reporting that they do. Um, I was trying to think of what I could tell you that's sort of less known. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so one thing I've just started to listen to is called The Art of Process. And it's with Amy Mann and Ted Leo, who are musicians. And it's a podcast about creativity and the creative process. And I've been finding that really interesting, this sort of in-depth conversation about how do you work and how do you manage your time and how do you manage your ideas? And um, they don't have that many episodes out, but I, I really like that. That sounds, um, sounds interesting. Yeah. And another one that I really like that I thought maybe was not recommended by every other person <laughs> is a podcast called Bodies that was put out by um, KCRW. And it sort of would take a, I, I don't know if medical mystery is the right word, but uh, a medical issue and primarily with women in their bodies and get into it from a narrative story-driven point of view. It's hosted by Alison Beringer, who used to host, what was it called? The Intern? I think she she did this sort of personal first-person story about being an intern at a tech company in New York a few years ago, and it was very good. She's very smart. I've heard of her name before, and so perhaps that's why. It might be, because I think if it was called The Intern, I feel like I'm getting that wrong, but um, I might I might, I might be thinking of the Anne Hathaway movie. The intern oh. <laughs> <laughs> with Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are tons of shows that I could list, but uh, I thought those would be sort of different ones if people were interested in something less well known. Um, All right. Give me a well known one that you listen to as well. Well, I listened to Caliphate from the New York Times. I thought that was incredible. Um, I listened to Long Form, which is interviews with nonfiction. Um, writers, which I find very interesting from a craft perspective. Yeah. That's one of my go-tos. Um, what else? I'm just looking at my app because now we're moving outside of the ones that I'd planned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend because he's just the best. Yes. That one is, is it's relatively new, but people are, lo- people are loving it. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> he was recently on promoting his podcast. He was recently on My Favorite Murder. And they were doing a little, oh, cro- really? yeah, they were doing a little cross promotion. And so he appeared as a guest on their mm-hmm. podcast and he talked about his, uh, his murder obsession and how, Oh, really? yeah, like when he was on Saturday Night Live, he was following this murder case in New York and he would go and sit when he d- wasn't at work, he would go and sit in the courtroom and listen. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's why that cross promotion worked because you can't really do it if he didn't have an interest in it already. Yes. Yes. And they, uh, Karen Kilgareth, who's on who's the mm-hmm. host, she knew him from their comedy writing days. Oh, okay. That makes sense. It's crazy. I was just for spring break. Uh, I was in Las Vegas with my kids, which is not necessarily where you take your kids for spring break, except that my husband had a conference and so we just <laughs> crashed in his hotel room. And my favorite murder had a massive billboard above the strip. I mean, it was one of those rotating ones. Um, yes. So the, you know, the image kept changing. Yes. And I was like, wow, podcasting is in a place right now where a podcast has a huge visibility marker thing on the Las Vegas strip. Like what is what this is crazy. I have been to three live podcast shows here recently. I've been to Bitch Sesh. I've been to that twice. Um, I just went last weekend to watch what crappens. The, that's a um, like a Bravo breakdown show. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my favorite murder here in DC. It was in a DAR Constitution Hall. It was in a huge venue. Oh wow! It was incredible. Those girls are they're killing it. They just started their own podcast network. I mean, they're oh, ki- wow. yeah, know. they yeah they're they're killing it. No no pun intended. <laughs> um, 
Um, but they're really great. So if you if you're if you're interested in uh, funny mm. <laughs> murder stories that are also comedically told, they're they're great. Oh, good to know. Well, listen, this has been this has been unbelievable. Now I have one last random question for you. Yeah. Tell me about the origin of your name, Tally. Oh, um, it's an Israeli name. My parents, my mother was from England and my father uh, is from Morocco and they spent uh, several years in Israel. And so they named me Tally because it's an Israeli name. It's so, it's so pretty. And I'm from the deep South in Mississippi. And so Tally is a name that I've heard before, but it's normally short for Natalia. And then it becomes, uh-huh, uh-huh. becomes a nickname of Tally. So that's what I was wondering if your name was really Tally or if it was like Natalia or something like that. No, it's Tally. But then the funny part of it is that it's, if you phonetically, like if you'll meet any Israelis, they will spell it T-A-L-I. And my father at the time didn't know how to spell it. So when he went to register me at the birth whatever office, he spelled it T-A-L-Y. And when he came home, my mother said, that's not Tally, that's Taley. That looks ridiculous. So they just, instead of changing it for an I, which would have been the logical thing, they added an L. <laughs> and I find it looks really silly because it looks like counting, you know, when people say like, yeah. what's the Tally? Yeah, so I, well, I like it. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> Tally, tell everybody how my listeners can find you. Well, the podcast is available on all the regular podcast apps, and we have a website, firstdaybackpodcast.com. And I am Tally Abacassis on Twitter. Uh, That's tricky to spell, T-A-L-L-Y-A-B-E-C-A-S-S-I-S. And I'm on Instagram, tally.abacassis. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really thank appreciate you, it. Yeah, and I and I think that my listeners should check out First Day Back. It's three seasons, and they're just it's just really good storytelling. And you really invest in the story in the subject of season one is Tally, and uh, it's uh, it's great. And so I hope everybody will take a listen to First Day Back. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Bye bye.